I think for me it's always a privilege to to be with people. And whenever I sit with people, it, it's sacred because you don't know what's been their story up to now, but you know that God is with them. And I think for me that is very special. And I've been working in, in education, uh, churches, uh, multinational corporates. And what I've picked up there is that there's a disconnect between leadership and spirituality. So many people say, listen, I'm a, I'm a Christian businessman or a Christian leader or part of a Christian team, but actually they do exactly the same thing that the world is doing, but they just pour some scripture over it. But in essence, nothing is different. Then on the other hand, you have beautiful Christians that actually say, listen, no, we, we're just here to pray. We're just here to, to read Bible and to, we, we don't worry about the impact in the world. That's worldly. That's, and then it's, it's difficult for them. And then they try to be something in the world, but there's no influence. There's no impact. And, and I think what I have a heart for is that, um, I help leaders and teams. And if I say leaders, it's sometimes it's a housewife that's actually fulfilling a leadership role. Sometimes it's a, a, an educator. Sometimes it's a, someone working uh, in a shop. Sometimes it is a CEO and his team or her team. So when I say leadership, it's a broad understanding of leadership. When you have influence, you have some sort of a leadership. But what I do is, uh, my assumption is, and I think that's my last sentence about Cyprus tour, is that my assumption is that if you grow deeper into Christ, the living Christ, you will be able to lead longer. That's my assumption, and I've seen it. Because he will change your life, and you will develop a life-giving way of leadership because the source of your leadership is Christ, the living Christ. And, and for me, that's the... Um, and, and in getting there, I always tell leaders, uh, so that's more the fear-based uh, marketing campaign that I'm using sometimes. Jesus is saying... It's possible to build, to be extremely successful, my own words, but to lose your soul. If you lose your soul, you'll sit highly successful in your life, but you will have a sense of meaninglessness. And I try and play in that space. I'm called, and I always, I think I've told them as well, it's, it's work that's been given to me. I try to get away from it because it's not always easy. And hopefully when you come with us on a Cyprus tour, you could get a great experience. Um, so it will be a soulful experience, but also soul traveling. So you will travel your own inner world and say, but what's, what's next for me and my team, maybe my organization, or maybe just my family. And I think that's the, that's the invitation. I'm not a good salesman, eh? <laughs> but maybe... Disclaimer, if you want to continue with life as is, please don't sign up. Don't sign up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us together. And Holy Spirit, we open ourselves up for you. Speak into our lives this morning. Through scripture, through an idea, maybe through an emotion, maybe through someone else that's maybe sitting next to me. But Father, we know you are here.
but we want to sense it in a tangible way this morning. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so it's counterintuitive. So my theme this morning is my journey with foolishness. So when you go onto a journey with us to Cyprus, you will go with three fools, and then you can join us. You're more than welcome. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think like, like they've mentioned is that I have the privilege to be in different rooms, uh, education, NGOs, uh, boardrooms, corporates, um, churches. And wherever I go, I see certain types of people. Um, so there are e people that's easy to work with. And maybe you, you've seen them. So I think four or five weeks ago, I facilitated a two-day session for a management team. And I had a whole challenge about intergenerational communication. And whenever I work with teams, what's working, what's not working, most of the time, number one or two, lack of communication. Okay, so it's a similar thing. And then one of the younger leaders received brutal feedback on the lack of communication. And um, we, so we unpacked the challenge, we decided on what to do uh, in order to communicate better. And then on check-in the next day, he said that um, he, he took a chance uh, last night. So he was always anxious to communicate with the older leader. And he said, but, but let's try, based on what we've decided on and what we agreed on. And they had a meaningful conversation. Less anxiety, more listening. So that's the first group of people that's the easiest to work with. Then everywhere I go, I see very dangerous people to work with. So I'm also working in family businesses, the intergenerational family businesses. And recently I've witnessed how a fellow family member um, actually started a gossiping campaign against non-executives or non-family executives and family executives. And she fabricated lies about what's happening in the business. So in the end, she was exposed and I asked her, I had the privilege to ask her, but why did you do it? And her words struck me. I wanted to harm them because they are bad people. Very dangerous to work with this type of person. Then, so the first group, easiest, most dangerous, then the most difficult to work with is most of the time the smartest people in the room, very gifted and very charming. And I don't have a bad uh, self-image, so it's not that that, I, that I'm not liking, but these people are not taking ownership for a problem. So with them you get the feeling we have the same conversation over and over and over and over again, and actually you feel just like, <sighs> can't take it anymore. So they refuse to take responsibility for their behavior and to even change their behavior. What they're very good at is blaming, minimizing, rationalizing, excuse, attack, conflict, alienation, and there's always a break in the relationship. And they frame the world as, the world is divided in good people and those are the people that's agreeing with me, and bad people, those are the people that's disagreeing with me. It's the most difficult to work with them. So quickly think about your work environment. Have you seen these people? 
So my father turned 70 last weekend. I have been married for 20 years this past week. <laughs> you must have it. My wife, she needs it. Um, there's some of these people in my family as well. It's not just there. In my family as well. And um, I think the ancient wisdom literature and the Bible is actually helping us to frame these people. So that, the Bible is talking about wise people. So wise people, when truth presents itself, the wise person sees the light, takes it in, and make adjustments. Story number one, the young leader coming back, made a few adjustments. Okay, that's wise. Then the second group of people is evil people. That was that family business story. Evil people are not reasonable. They seek to destroy. It's only their, their truth that matters. And then the last group of people, most difficult to work with, foolish people. So the fool tries to adjust the truth so he or she does not have to adjust to it. Okay, so you, you have the names of those people. Please don't shout anything out or don't look at them now. But someone once told me, if you spot it, you got it. So if you see a fool, that's probably something there as well. So we're not going to talk about the wise and the evil today. We're going to talk about the foolish person. So I think we have all three in us, but this morning, be honest with yourself. What is your dominant style? Are you more wise? Are you, uh, you have an evil streak or is, is he, are you a fool? <laughs> if you don't know, ask someone that knows you. They will tell you. All right, so Jesus is also talking about fools. And I'm going to read Matthew 7, 24 to 28. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, the tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a stupid carpenter. It's not, I'm not saying it is Bible or the message who built his house on the sandy beach. When the storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. When Jesus concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause. They had never heard teaching like this. It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying, quite a contrast to their religion teachers. This was the best teaching they had ever, they had ever heard. So Jesus standing there, most probably with a group of Jews, because it's Matthew, uh, from the book of Matthew. And um, so in, in Palestine, it was, it was hills and mountains, and it was subjected to sudden and violent rains. And then the Jordan River became rapid and furious in its course. And everything in its way uh, would have been swept off, even houses, and especially if founded on sand or on any unsolid basis. It was just swept it away. But there were many rocks in the region, so you had, a, you had an option. You could have built it on, on the rock. Um, 
this picture was so clear in their minds that on the Day of Atonement, there was a special prayer by the high priest that the Lord would grant that their houses might not become their tombs. So they, when Jesus talked about it, they knew this is what he's talking about. But then Jesus, had a, as he's doing in most of the parables, he's changing the story a little bit. So the high priest prayed for the structure of the house. Jesus is saying the structure is not a problem here, it's the foundation. And he's referring to Matthew 6 verse 1, where people are just into this religious thing, praying so that everyone can see them. Doing things to keep other people happy. And Jesus said, no, this is, this is a foundation on sand. My foundation is actually the sermon on the mount. Matthew 5 to 7. Blessed are those who... So they knew when Jesus talked about this image, or using this image, they exactly knew what he was talking about. So according to Jesus, a fool is someone that make anything the foundation of their lives besides God. So if God, in this case, Matthew 5 to 7, is not your foundation, then you're a fool. And remember now the conversation about the in Christ leadership idea? So even if you built your leadership highly successful, and people say, great, you could still be a fool. If it's not rooted or built on the rock, of Christ. But then if you read Proverbs, according to Proverbs, a fool is someone who is seriously out of touch with reality and should have known better. So you have this Jesus idea of, of, of a fool, but then also Proverbs, a fool is someone who is seriously out of touch with reality and should have known better. So I have two little ones, they are 10 and 11 now, but when they were three and four, they would touch the candle or the oven. And say, no, they're not fools because they didn't know better. But now at 10, 11, if they do the same thing, and it's, then now you become a fool. Why? Because you must have known better. So if we just for a moment out of touch with reality. So a fool is out of touch with two fundamental facts about reality. And that is fact number one, the givenness of the world. And secondly, the fallenness of the world. So if you think about the givenness of the world, so this world is created with a certain order. And I know in the postmodern world, you don't talk about order. It's, everything is relative. But think about physical. You, you can't eat what you like whenever you, and still say, stay fit. Something will happen to your body. Morally, you can't treat people in a way, or disrespect them and expect them to respect you. Socially, you, you can't live a selfish life and think you're going to have a load of friends. There's a certain order to this world. Spiritually, you can't build your identity on anything more than God or other than God. You will have a psychological and a soulful breakdown. I can promise you. So in this case, if you don't accept the givenness of the world, then you're actually a relativist. And in this context, it's being a fool. By saying that, I'm not saying you're not allowed to question things. Please continue questioning things if you like. But there is a certain order that the world is created in. 
Then the second reality is the fallenness of the world. It's broken. We are not perfect. So bad things, I won't say will, maybe will and could happen to you even if you live 100% right. If you do all the right things, there's still a probability that things will go wrong. And that's why in Proverbs 16, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it will lead to death. So prior to Proverbs 16, there's many things about fools. Fools are bad at making plans. Fools are bad at getting feedback. Fools are... But to the fool, you think if I do the right things, then nothing will happen. It will just go smooth sailing. And that's why many Christians are so... That's life. So you need to accept that reality. There's a fallenness about this world. So in this context, being a moralist is a fool. Being a moralist is a fool. So I think you need both. Because if you look at South Africa, for instance, we have... Um, we have poverty, uh, and in our analysis of poverty in South Africa, we sometimes simplify. So we will say, the relativists would say, you know what, this government, bad social structure, that's why we have this poverty. The moralists will say, no, 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 it's a failure of moral responsibility. They need to decide, they need to do something. We need both. Because that's reality. We miss the complexity in the reality because we, we're not accepting the fundamental truths about reality. So that's reality, the givenness and the fallenness of the world. And then should have known better. For me, that's about the feedback part. So many times when I talk in some organizations, I would say this is your performance review. Maybe this time of the year is always performance reviews, am I right? So think about uh, the last month and all the performance reviews. Maybe you've been one of these people or maybe you've seen, seen them. Proverbs 1 verse 22, how long will... Will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? So Proverbs 122, there's three kinds of fools. There's mockers, there's the gullible, and there's the stubborn. And this Afrikaans word, I won't mention it here for stubborn. So you think about the mockers, the lesim, it's saying it's, it's, it's not a mental capacity thing, but it's an attitude they're talking about here. It's not you're an idiot, you're, you're stupid. It's, a, it's a, an attitude, whether we become wise or foolish. So the attitude with a mocker is they downplay or they minimize any feedback. And it's because there's a high pride and they, want, they don't want to submit to anyone. So they debunk everything. And there's cultural pressure on doing it. I mean, just go to Instagram or TikTok or Facebook. And you see, if you don't agree with someone, you just joke with them and you go for them. But downplaying it, it's just like... Now, there are some things that you need to critique, but if that's if you're sitting in a company of mockers, it's something else. If, if, if your ways, I'm cynical about everyone that's giving me feedback, actually, I'm downplaying them then according to the Bible, you're a fool. 
So the question for you, if, if you think, listen, I think I could be a mocker. What's your question? I think there's a question. When have you been tempted to roll your eyes and dismiss someone rather than engaging with them? So there's people in your life that's giving you feedback. And what you're doing is, oh, you got to love you. If it's your mother-in-law, that's a different story. That says always, <laughs> I'm listening to my mother. <laughs> so a mocker spray could sound like, Lord, help me to avoid the world's shortcuts to looking wise, the cynical air, the inside joke, the sighs and feigned sadness about how stupid everyone is. Let me despise no one and respect everyone, even if I'm correcting them or they correcting me. So that could be a prayer for you if you think, listen, I, I think I'm a mocker. Then the second uh, group of fools, the gullible. Or the simple. The simple believe anything. <laughs> so if you, if you talk about the simple, they are destroyed by feedback. They're like children. They're over-impressed by the spectacular and the dramatic and some people would say they unformed intellectually, meaning they cannot discern between good and bad ideas. If you read um, Proverbs 12, 11, they are also likely to fall for get rich quick schemes. And we've been seeing it in the, I, I, you've seen it, eh? I mean, this brilliant, intellectually capable Christian, and then they're doing things that you say, but yes, why? I can't bring the two together. Doesn't make sense. Most probably it's a simple fool that's playing out here. Or sometimes they unformed psychologically. They cannot discern between good and bad leaders because they're unsure of their identity. They need approval or they just need to get close to someone with power or celebrity or someone that could make them feel better about themselves. So that's a simple. They destroy it by feedback. And they struggle to discern between good and bad ideas and good and bad leaders. And for them, a question could be, whom have you met who you thought was rather simple but turned out not to be so? What traits did they reveal? Have you met a simple fool? Maybe you are one. Lord God, why I see the mocker in me I also see the gullible. I certainly need human approval too much. and I'm also intellectually impatient, not wanting to think things out or through. I've often asked you to save me from my sin. Now, Lord, save me from my foolishness. And please, if you start thinking now, yeah, I know. Simple, oh, I have a name. And what's the other one? This is a test, if you listen, the mocker. If you start thinking about other people now, for a moment, come back to yourself. Where, where is the mocker in you? What is it doing? Where is the simple or the gullible in you? What is it doing in your life? And then lastly, the stubborn. So to be honest this morning, I think this is where I find my home. Um, and sometimes to be, to being a fool is, is serving you. 
Sometimes he's serving you to say, listen, let's make jokes. It doesn't feel that bad. So it's good. It's a good feeling. Sometimes it's serving you to say, but I'm simple. I'm not going to think things through. I'm just going to follow. And sometimes it's serving you to just be stubborn. Many leaders have some stubbornness in them. But according to the Bible, that's foolish. Now, the stubborn, they cannot take feedback. They just, uh, I've, I've grew in this department. I'm a much better. Just don't ask my wife, but I think I'm doing better. But cannot take feedback. They opinionate and know everything they believe. Nobody except themselves. Now, the child psychologist uh, Jerome Kagan discovered that children are born with one of three basic temperaments um, that determine how they instinctively respond to difficulty. So the first temperament, people respond with anxiety and withdrawal. So when it's difficult, just let's get out of here, instinctively. Then the second temperament, with aggression and assertive action. So no, 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 let's go for it before it gets to us. And then the last temperament is optimism. No, no, things will get better. No, 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 we we need need to feel worried. It will get better. So what he's saying is we are naturally born as fools. And there's a whole thing in in the church world um, and even in, 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 in culture, children need to be themselves. He said, no, 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 no. It could be disastrous. They could kill themselves. Because to become wise, the anxious must learn to be bolder. You can't just run away. To be the bold needs to be cautious. You can't just tackle everything that's a problem. And then the optimists, they need to be more thoughtful. Sometimes things won't get better. What then? So he is saying we all need parenting because we all start out as fools. So the question for the stubborn could be, where are you most opinionated and least open to new ideas or criticism? And the prayer could be, Father, I see Jesus moving through life without a wrong word or false step. He knows exactly when to be quiet and when to speak, when to correct and when to affirm how I want to be like him. Please begin to recreate his wisdom in me through your word and through your spirit. So just for a moment, I'm going to give you just a moment. What type of fool are you? What type of fool are you? Are you a mocker? Are you a simple fool? Or a gullible fool? Or are you a stubborn fool? So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. <laughs> but I think it's important. This morning is not for someone else. It's for you. I think it's important. It's for you. It may sound simple. But if you're a fool, if you're a gullible fool in a marriage, just think about the repercussions of it. If you're only stubborn, just think about the repercussions in terms of your children, your family, 
And I have first-hand experience of it. If you're a mocker, always making jokes about stuff but not taking it here, here's the greatest risk. If you continue with it, you won't be formed into the image of Christ. Because that's wisdom. Wisdom is becoming Christ-like. So it's not a, ooh, I don't feel good this morning about the sermon. This is risky. If you continue on the path of foolishness without any awareness about uh, the impact or the risk, you could sit at the end of your life and experience that your life, extremely successful, but my life is meaningless. My life is meaningless. So I think a question for me would be, how to be a fool no more? So the core idea is, get in touch with reality. Get in touch with the givenness and the fallenness of the world. And open yourself up for feedback. Simple, this is not biblical words that I'm using. But it's simple, get in touch with reality. And open yourself up for feedback. And if you still have a deep desire to be a fool, at least be a fool for God. Be a fool for Christ. And I wanted to show a video clip this morning, uh, Be God's Fools. It's a new vid um, film about St. Francis of Assisi in the New York, um, what do you call it, um, genre, if you like. But, but it's, it's, a, it's a modern day story of St. Francis of Assisi in New York. Uh, so go and watch it. But, but the idea there is to be a fool for Christ. And at 1 Corinthians 3, 18 to 20, and I think I have only have three minutes left and I'm done. Don't fool yourself. Don't think that you can be wise merely by being relevant. Be God's fool. That's the path to true wisdom. What the world calls smart, God calls stupid. It's written in scripture. He exposes the hype of the hipsters, the master sees through the smoke screens of the know-it-alls. So be God's fool. Be in touch with God's reality and open yourself up for God's feedback. And what is God's reality? Creation, fall, redemption. Creation, the givenness of the world. Fall, the fallenness of the world. And then the ultimate reality, redemption. Galatians 3, your foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before your eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain? If it really was in vain. So again I ask, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And I think that's why being a Christian is to, to repent. The redemption part. Not just to get a little bit better, that's self-help. To repent and say, God, I'm a fool. And it's also not self-pity, it's different. But then also to see the upside downness of God. I mean, the, fool, uh, the, the, 
the three wise men came to Jesus. Say, but this is not making sense to us. So God's world is upside down. He's working through suffering. He's working, working through difficulty. It's a different reality. It's a different view on the world. But then also open your life for his feedback in humility. In humility. In Proverbs, wisdom is a woman. Fortunately. But in John 1, Jesus is the wisdom. The Logos. So whose fool are you? And I would like for you to stand with me. And I'm going to read a song of Michael Card. Ach, and if you don't want to read it with me, you're also welcome just to stand there. God's own fool. Seems I've imagined him all of my life as the wisest of all mankind. But in God's holy wisdom is foolish to men. He must have seemed out of his mind. Even if his family said he was mad. And the priest said the demons to blame. But God in the form of this angry young man could not have seemed perfectly sane. When we, when we in our foolishness thought we were wise, he played the fool and he opened our eyes. When we in our weakness believed we were strong, he became helpless to show we were wrong. And so we follow God's own fool, for only the foolish can tell, believe the unbelievable, and can be a fool as well. So come, lose your life for a carpenter's son, for a madman who died for a dream, and you'll have the faith his first followers had, and you'll feel the weight of the beam. So surrender the hunger to say you must know. Have the courage to say I believe. For the power of paradox opens your eyes. And the blinds those say they can see. So Father. We are foolish. And this morning was a wake up call for us to not to feel sorry for ourselves, but to become aware of the risk of continuing on this foolish road, or this foolish journey. We want to follow you. We would rather continue on this journey with the living Christ. We want to grow deeper into you. We want to be firmly rooted in you. Please help us. In the name of Jesus. Amen.